0: Hello and welcome to Biblical Breadcrumbs and this episode will be in Matthew 26 verses 57 through 75 as we consider two different trials that happen in these uh, next two sections. We're finishing up chapter 26 today, at least as far as timing goes that should be enough to to fill an episode but not go super long. And we'll just have some general commentary on what's going on, but not not too much of it. It's pretty self-explanatory. So in Matthew 26, the last section we looked at was verses uh, 47 through 56, where we dealt with Judas dealing with Jesus, Judas getting rid of Jesus, and um, the, the the betrayal of Jesus by his friend. Judas, all of his friends, the apostles, and everything that's going on in that scenario. As Jesus is in the garden, he could easily get out of this situation, and yet he won't, because he knows God has a plan, God needs him to do this, and Jesus needs to accomplish this. This is the purpose he was there for. Jesus needs to accomplish this. And so, in the end of Matthew 26 here, let's start reading in verse 57. We'll read the first story, verses 57 through 68, and then uh, talk about it a little bit, and then read the last few verses of the chapter. So, Matthew 26, starting in verse 57. Those who had arrested Jesus led him away to Caiaphas the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had convened. Peter was following him at a distance, right to the high priest's courtyard. He went in and was sitting with the servants to see the outcome. And the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false testimony against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they could not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward, finally. Two who came forward stated, This man said, I can destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said to him, Don't you have an answer to what these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You've said it, Jesus told them. But I tell you, in the future you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He's blasphemed, why do we still need witnesses? See, now you've heard the blasphemy, what is your decision? And they answered, He deserves death. Then they spat in his face and beat him. Others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Messiah. Who was it that hit you? In this first story here, we have what's called, what is known as the trial of Jesus, except that in itself is kind of a misnomer because it's very much a trial with air quotes, of Jesus. It's not very real. It's not very realistic, and it's very, very not much uh, not much honesty going on here. The chief priests and the scribes, in verse 59, what are they doing? They're looking for false testimony so that they can put him to death. They're looking for lies about him so that they can kill him. Why is it? It's because... He's so good that he's never done anything wrong <laughs> that they can't find any reason to actually kill him, right? And so they go seeking for lies in verse 59. They go seeking in verse in verse 60. They find two guys who say, you know, he said, I can destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. He said, I can destroy the place that God lives and rebuild it in three days. Guess what that means? He... The the place where God lives. God lives in him. God is him. He is God. Jesus is God. He can die and be rebuilt in three days. He can come back. Um, And so they decide to pursue this misunderstanding. Oh, he's going to destroy the temple of God. And the high priest asked him about it, whether or not they understood it was talking about him or whether they actually uh, did think that it was talking about the temple. Either way, they ask him about it, and in verse 63, Jesus just doesn't say anything. That's that's the best defense. Of course, he's not going to answer that. Why would he answer that? What's the point? Because the only thing that Jesus is going to accomplish by answering this is condemning himself, so why would he answer? He would only answer if, if he wants to be condemned, and if there's no other way they can condemn him, then he'll give them something to hang him with. He will provide the very rope to hang himself on. And so, after a while, since it's very obvious that they don't have anything on him, since it's very obvious they can't get anything, they can't blame him for anything, then, in verse 63, the high priest says, Can you could you just tell me if you're God's son or not? And Jesus says, fine, sure. You, But he doesn't even admit it, right? In verse 64, he said, you're the one who said it. The high priest said, I want you to tell me if you are the son of God. And Jesus said, you said that I am. And the high priest takes that statement. Oh, I said that he is. Well, I guess that's him claiming to be God, and that's the closest we're going to get. And that's what's con- that's what condemns him not not Jesus asserting to be the Son of God. I, I don't think he does that in the story. Different people read it different ways, and some people do think he does that. I don't think he does that in the story. It's not about Jesus asserting his his dominance as God's Son. It's not about the high priest actually discovering evidence. It's not about anyone actually having any actionable crime that Jesus has ever done. It's about Jesus finally acquiescing to help them and manage to give them what they want. You said I'm the son of God? Sure. Sure. If you want to go with that argument, you can. And the high priest jumps on that opportunity. And so he does. You see here, there. there's so much dishonesty in everything that the Jewish leaders are doing. The elders, the, the, the high priests, the elders, the scribes, everyone in the Sanhedrin, they're just, they're not looking for what's right. They're looking for something to make them the ones who are right because they want to win at the end of the day. And as long as they win, everything else is fine. And if they win, then everything's going to work out. And if they win, everything is good. And so, sure, we'll lie about him. Sure, we'll misrepresent what he said. Sure, we will misunderstand him. Sure, we will take a, well, take a uh, unsubstantiated halfway claim of Jesus' kind of nodding his head to something that the high priest said one time. And we'll use that as definitive proof that he is a blasphemer, even though there's really no substance there. But the high priest wants to kill him, and so they do. And that's that's the trial of Jesus. At the end of it, they're the ones who are slapping him, they're mocking him, they're laughing at him and asking him all these sorts of questions. And really, it's just pathetic on their part, because they've broken the law, they've transgressed, they're the ones who are doing the all the illegal actions, and Jesus is just there, silently taking it, because he knows this has to happen, and he, he wants this to happen, in the sense of he wants to save people, and so he has to suffer in the meantime for it. He has to suffer all the physical consequences to get a wonderful spiritual result. So, Jesus goes through his trial, but at the same time, there's another trial going on. It's in verses 69 through 75, and it's this trial of Peter, also trial in air quotes, because it's not a technical trial, it's not like an official trial. Um, but nevertheless, it is a trial Peter goes through, and um, we're let's look at it. Matthew 26, starting in verse 69. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl approached him and said, You are with Jesus the Galilean too. But he denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about. And when he'd gone out to the gateway, another woman saw him and told those who were there, Uh, this man was with Jesus the Nazarene. And again he denied it with an oath, I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there approached and said to Peter, you really are one of them, even your accent gives you away. Then he started to curse and to swear with an oath, I don't know the man. Immediately, a rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went outside and wept bitterly. This is is not a good look for Peter. Peter, the one who would stick with Jesus through everything. Peter, the one who, even when everyone else abandons you, Lord, I, I won't abandon you. Peter, the one who would stick up for Jesus through anything. Peter, the one who has chased Jesus to the courtyard of the of the um, Sanhedrin, he has given a lot fair, but he hasn't given enough because he didn't he didn't accompany Jesus through the trial, right? He didn't go with Jesus into the courtroom. He went to go and watch Jesus and see and hope that things would be all right. And that's very different. Peter is committed. But is he committed enough to actually stand with Jesus, or does he just want to know what's going to happen? Well, a girl who in this society isn't very important, and also a servant who in this society isn't very important, a servant girl comes up and says, you know, I, or do you know this guy? And he just instantly denies it even before the weakest and most subservient and lowliest members of society even before those who don't matter really who who aren't worth all that much peter is afraid and he he runs away from it no I, i'm not with him i i don't know who that is don't don't look at me like that i'll just i'll just go somewhere else so he moves somewhere else and there's another woman <laughs> who comes up and says I, aren't you Aren't you with the guy who's on trial right now? And he says, no, of course not. Of course not. Um, I promise you that I'm not. He takes an oath there. I-, I promise you, I swear to you, I'm not with him. And then a bunch of people start looking at him and say, you know, the very way you said that that you swear an oath, the accent or the way you talk or, or whatever was going on there, that very thing underscores the fact that you are from Galilee and you are from this region you probably do know this guy to which Peter starts to curse which is not like our modern version of like using bad words he starts to curse probably i'm assuming he curses himself you know may god do so to me if i knew that guy may god treat me like he's treating that guy in there if i ever knew him Funnily enough, that's what's going to happen in 50 years from now, or 30 years from now, I think it is, when Peter ultimately is executed, he will also be crucified. That's what church history tells us. God does so to him, and more also, because he denied Jesus. He denies, he denies, he denies in verses 70, 72, and 74, but then in verse 75... He hits the consequences of his actions. And his consequences are nothing. Nothing at the moment. He just hears a rooster crow, which signifies it's the beginning of the morning. It's the start of the day. It's 6 a.m. ish. Nothing happens to him. He doesn't get stuck on trial. He doesn't go get executed. He doesn't get punished for this. The only punishment is the emotional weight and the guilt of knowing everything that he just did. He should have stood with his master, and yet he didn't. He was on trial, and he failed. He's found guilty and wanting. And so, as he walks away at the end of it, he's sorrowful. That's not the right answer. The cock crows, the rooster calls out, and he could have gone to be with Jesus, and he isn't. He's not going there to be with Jesus. He's not going to fix his mistakes and go and accompany his master. He's not going to own up to all those people that he was with Jesus. No, he hears that sound, and he just leaves another denial of who Jesus is. Who Jesus is, how amazing he is, how impressive he is. But Peter doesn't want to face the consequences of Jesus, of being allied with him. And so Peter leaves. And that's all we know. Jesus' last friend who could have stood with him is now gone. And he has nothing left except himself and his relationship with God as he heads toward his inevitable execution now that the the Jews have cemented their accusations against him these two stories put side by side offer several things to think about but i think the main one and the one that i'm think that i'm thinking about as i read through this is this question are we supposed to resist evil when it happens to us or are we supposed to allow it to happen to us You've got two different perspectives on this. Jesus is allowing evil to happen to him. People are lying about him, and he just says he says nothing, and then when they finally ask him a question, he condemns himself and lets them condemn him. Then they start beating on him, and he just doesn't respond at all. He allows evil to happen to him. Are Are we supposed to just do that, to never fight back, and to never question why these things are happening to us? Well, maybe that's what Jesus does. And then in Peter we see him resisting evil. We see evil trying to grab him and trying to blame him, trying to accuse him in his trial. but he resists it and he says, no, I'm not going, I'm not that person. no, I don't want to deal with it. No, I'm not like him. no, I'm not with him. And so he resists evil by himself doing evil and that is, disapproved. You may be able to look at this and see an example of how we should be willing to let evil happen to us. If someone slaps you on the on one of your cheeks, turn to him the other also. Right? If someone commands your your shirt from you, offer him your cloak. These are Jesus's words back even in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 and 6 and 7. If somebody is treating you one way, if they force you to go a mile go to don't don't resist evil if someone's going to do evil go along with it but at the same time there's also something to be said for resisting evil and not letting people get away with doing horrible things to you god doesn't just always want you to fold up and cower and hide But he doesn't always want you to stand up for every single right that you could possibly have. Sometimes it's best to compromise, and sometimes it's not. There's a balance here. Don't go either way. It's not like Jesus should have resisted them. It's not like Jesus should have fought against him. It's not like Jesus should have encouraged Peter to cut more people's ears off, as evidenced in the the earlier stories. No, he put a stop to that. But it's not like God just tells us to sit down and take whatever is given to us. Sometimes we are supposed to stand up for what's right and stand up for good. And by all means, there are some times where you need to compromise and take it take a step down and just be willing to persevere through the evil that is given to you through bad things that people are doing to you sometimes it's the right thing to do to just sit that one out and not pick that fight but at the same time if you're like peter and you you're sitting out of the fight by doing something evil, or if that sitting out is something evil and you see something that you could help someone through and you don't, you see someone lying and you say, "Hey, we should really fix that." Uh, but 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 you don't do that. You don't take that opportunity to correct evil. That's not good either. Don't go to either extreme on this. Jesus, in this instance, allows evil to happen to him others at other times Paul for instance in in Acts 16 does not Both are good in their proper circumstances and that teaches the value of finding a balance in the scriptures The scriptures are full of two different commands that when put together that that look contrary at first glance but when put together they make sense This is one of those you can't just take this passage and say, "Oh, we should just deal with everything we've ever been been given and and go through any evil we've been p- that's been pushed on to us." You can't just say that, but you also can't just say, "Oh, we should never uh, just deal with the evil that's pushed on us. We should always resist it." Neither is correct. Be careful in how you interpret, because sometimes, ultimately, here's what it comes down to: sometimes. God is glorified through our suffering. He was glorified in the suffering of Jesus, and he he would have been glorified if Peter, Peter had suffered with him. Peter didn't. And that means Peter has no glory, but also God has no glory from it. So which one are you going to be? Will you glorify God in your suffering? Or will you resist that to the point where you yourself are doing evil and not glorifying God at all? Hopefully that's helpful and that makes sense. And and yeah, I know I rambled a little bit getting there, but the conclusion is, is valid. And hopefully that is something helpful to be able to think about this week. Hopefully there's something worthwhile there for you to be thinking about. I'm glad that we're here finally finishing chapter 26 Next week we'll pick up in 27, we'll probably go pretty quick through chapter 27, um, but we'll see, we'll see when we get there, not exactly sure. But we're nearing the end now, and we don't have too much more to go, Jesus doesn't have too much more to suffer, but still, the worst is yet to come. And it's all going to happen within the next couple of weeks as we go through this. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed. Hope you benefited. And hope there's something here that's of use to you. And as always, I'll see you on the next episode of Biblical Breadcrumbs.